Hi everyone, Dr. Jay Watts joins us from England. She's a consultant clinical psychologist, psychotherapist, writer, and activist. She's pretty amazing in her activism around the diagnosis of borderline personality disorder, meaning that she wants to break down the stigma surrounding it and would like to see that diagnosis be completely eradicated because it means so many other things and it has turned into an unfair label for quite a number of people. So we delve right into that. Frank King, the mental health comedian, joins me on this show and uh, you'll hear the passion in Dr. Watts's voice as she talks about her career and her work towards helping people that are suffering from any kind of mental health challenges. I'm not the house of cards that falls down easily. I'm strong enough to handle what you throw me. Welcome to Mental Health News Radio. I'm your host, Kristen Sunanta Walker. Just what are we going to discuss? The intimacy that is mental health. Let's continue to make it as comfortable as discussing brain health or heart health. This show has been on the air for several years and we have amazing co-hosts. And then we created a network of podcasters on mentalhealthnewsradionetwork.com, a place where every possible facet of mental well-being can be talked about openly. My show, after several hundred interviews, the format is this. Intimate, deep, funny, touching, sometimes uncomfortable, but always vulnerable conversations with interesting people. The goal is to have you, our listening family, many of you who have become my good friends, feel as though you are listening in on private conversations. Thank you for tuning in and becoming part of this amazing journey with me and now with our network of podcasters. Just knowing this podcast might be helping any of you realize you are not alone on this journey called being a human being makes doing this podcast worth every second. Hey everyone, Kristen Sinanto Walker here and I've got my amazing co-host, the mental health comedian Frank King on with me. Hey Frank. Good morning, Kristen. <laughs> Is it morning? It's morning uh, for it's you. Mor- morning here in Oregon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have someone all the way across the pond, Dr. Jay Watts with us. Jay, thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, it's a delight. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, I am too. And I, I gave you a little bit of backstory, which we'll, we'll leave that to tantalize listeners for another time uh, if the person agrees to, that we can talk about it. But you were referred to us. And um, you know, we're going to definitely discuss something that is highly stigmatized, even with the already stigmatized term of you know mental health and mental illness, which is borderline personality disorder. And, um, you know, it's uh, what I find interesting. I'm always shocked when someone that I don't know is referred to us and they know who we are. I'm like, really? How? (laughs) (laughs) Well, maybe because you do a podcast that a lot of countries listen to. (laughs) Hello. People actually listen, Kristen. And and, and, yeah, I get a lot from it. I don't know. You know, you're just sitting alone at a, at a mic. You don't, it's not like you're on stage, Frank, like you experience where you're on stage and you're doing a set and there's thousands of people looking at you. You're just staring at your mic and you're, you don't think about people that are tuning in. But anyway, Jay, thanks for coming on and agreeing to, um, to talk about this. My pleasure. It's, it's such an incredibly important area and, and it's something people don't talk about. And one of the things that 
I and, 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 and so many survivors are, are, are so keen to do is really get more people thinking about the discrimination and really the category and the category problems with borderline personality disorder. And the hope is that we can really galvanize enough of a movement so that we can kind of create a new language so that people, and when we're talking about borderline personality disorder, we're talking, I've got to say, from the start, 75% women, two thirds of whom have really, really, really bad trauma histories so that we can find yeah. a new way of thinking and working and responding empathically. Because at the moment, the judgments and the treatment that this group receive are frankly the worst within the psychiatric system. And, and I know a little bit from my activism that that's very much an international issue. It's not just a UK issue. So hopefully we can, um, we can slam some of the stereotypes today uh, and get people more on side really. Yeah, I, I we need to do that. I mean, I, I ride such a fine line with this because I, you know, you know, from listening to shows, we do so much about narcissistic personality disorder. And even there's a fine line there as I've healed from the trauma of being in on the receiving end of those kinds of relationships, I'm able to have much more compassion and to come at, at it from a much more compassionate place and know they're not the devil. Uh, you know, that, you know, that kind of thing. But, you know, I had to get there. I was a victim of that kind of behavior. And now I'm on the survivor's side, but it takes time to get there. And, and people tend to lump um, borderline in with that disorder. And even my saying it that way sounds like I'm demonizing narcissistic personality disorder. You know what I mean? Uh, guys, can I uh, interject just for a second? Um, uh, play sure. the every man, every every person here. Um, I, you know, I've got a vague idea what narcissistic personality disorder is and what borderline is. I mean, I, and I imagine most people who are listening to the podcast have a, have an idea. But if there had to be somebody who's not well versed in those, can you just give me a thumbnail sketch of each so I know what we're talking about. Oh, it's so vast it wouldn't fit on a thumbnail. But we, Dr. J, you try. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right, set me this big challenge. Um, well, in terms of kind of uh, the diagnostic system, when people are talking about borderline personality disorder, um, what they think they're talking about is um, a cluster of different experiences and emotions and patterns of relating. So uh, the stereotype really uh, and the symptom classification is based around things like uh, a real chronic feeling of emptiness, um, a tendency to kind of really oscillate between um, very, very kind of sort of desperate attempts to uh, uh, to avoid abandonment by sometimes clinging to people, um, sometimes pushing the other away, sometimes quite self-destructive things, self-destructive acts like self-harm or boozing a lot or, um, you know, having lots of sex that perhaps one doesn't want, uh, and kind of a tendency to um, idealise or denigrate other people. So other people can be like, you know, this is the person, you know, this is the object that's gonna you know be the one that makes me feel okay this is the one that's gonna make me feel safe and then when that doesn't work a sort of sudden discard um, so that's kind of really the sort of stereotype of borderline personality disorder um, but and hopefully we'll come to this later there are loads and loads and loads of problems with the construct um, so many of us are really having this movement to actually get rid of the category of borderline personality disorder mm. um, and it's a category that has within the history history of psychiatry 
consistently being challenged. Now, lots of people, myself including, link it really with the kind of sort of, well, kind of like hundreds of years history of demonizing women who are deviant, women who are different, women who are mad, women who refuse. And so that really goes back to kind of thinking about uh, the concept of hysteria, as was in the middle of right. the 20th century, and really right back to kind of, you know, almost like witch trial days, uh, you know, kind of Salem days, where basically kind of, you know, the woman who was a bit outside, the woman who wasn't compliant, the woman who made people feel uncomfortable gets labeled in different ways. And the contemporary way is via this category of borderline personality disorder. Now, though there is this kind of like super cliche of what it looks like, there are actually 256, 256 combinations of symptoms by oh. which one can be put under that diagnosis, right? So there's really this kind of like huge kind of gendered stereotype. Okay, this is the borderline personality presentation. Um, and what we do know is that there are a few commonalities. Now, there is a commonality in terms of a kind of a sense of an unstable sense of self. So some kind of insecurity about who one is. But we can kind of challenge that a little bit because, um, you know, people tend to get diagnosed when they're in their adolescent years, when they're in their early 20 years. And of course, you know, kind of at that time of life, I don't know about you, Kristen, but, you know, we don't know who we are. We're really, really disturbed. Right. We come from a background where we've been traumatized. And obviously this so links with your work on narcissistic abuse syndrome. If we haven't had parents, if we haven't had partners who have kind of, you know, sort of tried to contain us and help us and, you know, kind of sort of kind of gain a sort of more confident sense of self, then we don't have it. And when women suffering with these kind of problems go to psychiatric services rather than be treated, you know, with compassion and with help, what have you, we have the set of responses where people are told their very personality, their very character is disordered. And that, as survivors have been saying for decades and decades, adds <laughs> insult to injury. It's the last yeah, thing that one needs. So I'm, I, yeah. I could literally talk about this for hours. So I'm going to pause. <laughs> no, I mean, it's, it's, it's so true, though. It's, it's like so many things that I hear about it from all the people I've interviewed you know people that have been diagnosed with this and doctors who treat this i had one doctor come on and he just ticked off thousands of people because he's so demonized he even wrote a book that was just the title of it was awful and uh you know i there are so many things in the behavior of it that I've thought, well, why didn't I get diagnosed with that at one point? Because I came from a horrible traumatic background, horrible. And I, you know, slugged my way through it and, and had emotions up and down and all the things that you described. So it's, it's interesting to me how it gets missed, how it gets diagnosed, like what the criteria is, you know, the, those things like what the winding road to getting that kind of a diagnosis is what fascinates me. Mm -mm. I mean, I think one of the problems that we have, people get the diagnosis kind of super quickly and people often get mm. the diagnosis without being told. And they often pick it up because in terms of the evidence base, 
Um, we know that mental health staff, and I include therapists, I include psychologists in that, tend to react to this population um, yeah. as if they're not to be believed, as if they're being, you know, the words that come up again are attention seeking, are manipulative. Um, and so we have these kind of things, and I want to do a kind of trigger warning really before what I'm just gonna say, where we have kind of people, and as I say, it's majority of women who will literally be on our acute psychiatric wards and they will be saying, you know, I am going to go and hang myself. They will have ligatum, you know, set up, what have you. And there is this non-believing, moving away culture that, as I say, you know, research trial after research trial after research trial shows that it's the reaction. And people can get that diagnosis if they say these kind of things that very much specifically combine being in acute pain and not presenting in the kind of sort of kind of neat compliant way one's supposed to right. assuming patient right the that diagnosis, <laughs> exactly that diagnosis can come in like you know literally kind of on the first meeting now one of the problems that we have and I think this links so clearly with narcissistic abuse syndrome is because of the way mental health staff are trained it's very very much based on trying to keep distress away trying to keep madness away and thus putting problems within the individual and because of that there is the idea and people you know feel I think clinicians feel safe by this but it's so 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 damaging that if someone is really distressed and turbulent and you know kind of in the milestone it's because of an individual problem it must be to do with genes it must be to do with sensitivity and that is I think because our trainings don't recognize what you know as a narcissistic abuse survivor yourself is that you know our sense of self comes from our interpersonal experiences they're deeply deeply intersubjective and thus you know if the soul is in agony and is in chaos and is confused then it very very often indexes to that and the precise thing that we do need to do is validate and register and you know give that sense of wait a sec actually your voice what you're trying to say what you're trying to anger what your anger is trying to communicate you know the pain that your self-harm maybe is is trying to speak about you know we want to hear that and you you know you know Kristen I know kind of like how these kind of experiences in a life and in early life you know leave one in this state of not being able to speak clearly because that's precisely what's not been allowed Yes, exactly. And you're being told who you are, what your identity is, how you how to think that everything that's up yesterday is now down today. And that's all being delivered by someone else who has total control and power over you. And you're and you come out of that. And how are you not supposed to be an overreactive trauma survivor when you just come out of that kind of relationship? Exactly, because you know, you know, what happens, you know, you live on eggshells. If you come yep. from that environment, if you've been used as narcissistic supply, and that is just one of many different pathways, but they do so index always to the interpersonal experience, then, you know, one can't speak clearly because one is hypersensitive to what's going on for the other to try and stay alive and to try and desperately get the other to be kind and consistent. And, you know, often certainly when people come from a domestic abuse situation to try and get them actually to harm the person less. 
less. And what we find what happens in mental health is that these kind of absolutely evolutionary sensible reactions get pathologized and that just makes everything yeah. worse. So we have a huge problem with that. And also, you know so well, where there are gaslighting scenarios, well, what happens in the gaslighting scenario, then the survivor, the victim, is told continuously, it's your problem, it's your problem because yeah. you're mentally ill. And because the self has been so eroded by the other, then what happens is people come into mental health services, and it's a huge problem with therapists not recognising this, and going, you know, I've got depression, I've got anxiety problems, I've got anger. And because there isn't the education always on behalf of clinicians, then they have this easy excuse to go, oh, yeah, okay, right, well, let's get my depression inventory out. Or, you know, okay, yeah, you've got an anger problem, what have you, rather than recognising, actually, that's just solidifying the gaslighting one's getting at home. Absolutely. All the ghosts of, do you know what I mean? The ghosts of the gaslighter that that, that one's had from, from, from early on, from one's childhood. Uh, and that is an absolutely huge problem. Yeah, okay. you know the best. Go ahead, Frank. Go ahead. I know I, you well, have questions. <laughs> no, I have an um, I have an amazing non sequitur. I could listen to you talk all day. <laughs> I don't care. Read the phone book for me. Oh my God. Well, I'm sure you're talking about Christian because um, yeah, that, 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 no, that, no. that's certainly where I'd put. No, one. he's sick of me. He's talking about you. <laughs> oh God. I, I, it's, like, it's like you know picking up an audible book. I'm just I'm just I I'm sure I have questions, but I'm just fascinated just listening. It's, anyway, go ahead. I'm sorry. I just. I know <laughs> Did that you throw was, that in? <laughs> yeah, just amazing. Anyway. It's, it's interesting. I, I guess I want to link back in with, it's so, the thing with narcissism is so incredibly important. And I think it's so, for me, there is such a kind of dilemma with the term personality disorder when we're using it away from borderline. So borderline, you know, as I say, construct validity, I've, I've argued for the biggest and the best names and what have you, it doesn't stand up. With the other personality right. disorders, I have such a, ah, I, I have a genuine conflict because of course I work with survivors the whole time. I come from a legacy of being a survivor myself. And I know that say talking about narcissistic abuse syndrome, I know that you, we have people listening to this whose lives have been saved by that. And their yeah. lives have been saved by being able to go, and I bloody support that a zillion fold by being able to go, it is that. Because in a way, you know, the idea of narcissistic abuse syndrome, it so captures something. And what it does for me is it kind of scaffolds uh, a confidence in an abuse survivor's knowledge that what they've been told, what they've been being experienced, actually... It's not the 100% certitude, it's you, it's you, it's you, that people are being told explicitly or sometimes implicitly all the way through. At the same time, you know, as that, which is, as I say, life-saving, there's also the clinician in me who's worked with a lot of people who are narcissistic too, and where so, so, so often there is this transgenerational history of right. traumatic bonds being reproduced again and again and again and you know the identification with the aggressor that 
that that happens where people repeat what they've experienced and so there's a genuine kind of kind of conflict in me with that if that makes sense right i totally make sense the conflict is in me too i i was on the side of they're all bad for so long and i needed to be and now i'm like okay there are shades here you know (laughs) absolutely absolutely and then how do you and i speak to not yeah. insist on that for anyone who's listening because my god power to your journey whoever's listening yeah. you know, whatever however you can find you know fantastic we are all 100% there but then also it's like okay well how can we change these transgenerational patterns really so that less people get hurt because that is just increasing exponentially and exponentially and a lot of them won't show up for therapy, so because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, they're not the problem, quote unquote. Well, you so. know that's the thing. If you project it completely out, then you don't need to because you feel okay. It's it's you know it's the narcissistic supply victims who are who are having to do that instead, and that's one of the um the kind of the the weird things which it's so amazing that it hasn't been so seen by the general medical mental health profession for so long, this problem with borderline, it's its always been a huge feminist issue, but it's, we're just beginning to mainstream it now, thank goodness, before more lives yeah. are lost. But, you know, one of the problems with that is, you know, people with the diagnosis of borderline personality disorder absolutely present to services because they, you know, nearly always 100% have internalized the persecutor, have internalized the idea that they're the problem. And that's absolutely the diametric opposite of what one gets with narcissism and what one gets with yeah. also, you know, kind of people who've got antisocial organizations and things like that. Um, so oh, it's I, mean, of, I mean, yes, because you're walking around. I mean, uh, listeners, listen to this when you, you most of the time, or I, I don't know, you're the doctor, so you know what the statistics are, but borderline, people with borderline personality disorder, or they're diagnosed with this, since we're trying to move uh-huh, away from that, uh-huh. are usually people that are walking around as a huge trash can of other people's emotions that they're carrying. This is the thing. This is the thing. This is the thing. I've got to. I've got to do it. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I've, you said trash can. There's this. Um, I hope that everyone is going to afterwards check out this amazing survival organisation we have in the UK that's going international called Personality Disorder in the Bin. Uh, and so you know, kind of like bin and trash can. You know, they just do this. Oh amazing, yes. Amazing, oh yeah. I love that. They're absolutely brilliant. Um, but. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, borderline personality disorder, literally, Kristen Frank, since the 80s, has been called the dustbin diagnosis. And the reason why it's been called the dustbin diagnosis is because people that mental health don't know what to do with, because as I say, there isn't this education on it, the intersubjective nature of, 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 of distress and origin of distress, then they get lumped into this category, pretty much always don't get uh, any help, uh, let alone the kind of intensive therapy that can really make the difference between life and death. Um, And they're left there, and that reinforces what you've just captured so well, which is that, you know, often having been the trash can for everyone else's. um, Well, you know which word I'm going to say. I'm not going to say it because uh, I don't want to shock your your audience. Oh, you Um, can say whatever you want. (laughs) You know what? What, what that happens is, 
is, is that the trash that has been kind of sort of thrown into one, it then gets enacted on the body in terms of harm, self-harm, cutting, for example. It makes one feel like, you know, I am nothing. So all I can do is repeat, you know, maybe going into dangerous situations, which are all the ones that one's ever had. It's this constant, like, punitive superego, this incredibly high rate of shame that we have uh, in this incredibly traumatised group where basically one's constantly being bullied by, you know, sometimes in the current life, sometimes the ghosts of people saying, you know, yeah. you're nothing, you're mad, you know, no one can, be no one will believe you, no one outside realises how dreadful you are, all those things. And, you know, to be trapped in that, we have to respond and we have to have systems that respond in a compassionate, understanding way, rather than take those kind of scripts as happens, as as true and reinforcing them. I mean, it's, it's exactly it's, it's, re-traumatizing the patient sitting there. Oh, exactly, exactly, exactly. Re-traumatizing and producing huge levels of secondary trauma. So is it where where is it going then? If it's going away from the term borderline, where where does it go? Because I also know that there are people with bipolar disorder that get misdiagnosed with borderline, and then they you know when we've done plenty of shows on how that's figured out, but that the manic you know episodes and so on. But where is this term um, going? Is it splitting off into like trauma, PTSD, you know, da da da, or is it evolving into a whole separate term? Well, we've got um, we have, um, and and again, let me share the dilemma that we have in in uh, in, in Europe really at the, at the moment. We have, um, you know, you guys um, uh, in America uh, have the DSM as your diagnostic mm -hmm. bible. Mm -hmm. um, in 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 Europe and also in a lot of South America, uh, we have our, you know, we have to be rivalrous. So we have like, you know, the ICD, <laughs> which is basically kind of pretty much the equivalent. And around the world, it's about half and half. Now, what is happening? There's about to be a new edition of the ICD. And what we're doing frantically, and please, please, please support us on this, we have a hashtag called hashtag trauma not PD. And basically it is, you know, it does what it says on the tin, which is basically that we're um, a majority arguing that actually we're really talking about complex trauma, we're talking about complex PTSD reactions, and that the changing of that terminology and also a psychoeducation campaign within the mental health system can really like, you know, put that actually at the forefront. Now, the difficulty that we have with this, even though we are talking more about complex trauma, we are talking more about complex PTSD, is that with trauma, we're only seeing that identifiable in about kind of 70% of cases. And that is really because it's such a, you know, going back to the 256 combination of symptoms, it's such a heterogeneous group. It's such a wide range of group. One can't just replace it with a nicer term because there are too many dads. You know, they're doing it in their circles and squares and what have you. Now, as you say, Kristen, very, very, uh, very, very importantly, we kind of need to really deconstruct it. There is a huge bleeding and blurring with the line between borderline, uh, which as I say is problematic, and with bipolar. 
So there is some kind of, even though I wouldn't say it's at some level, I'd trouble the idea of misdiagnosis because the BPD one isn't, isn't reliable. But certainly we know that a lot of people, it is much more of a bipolar process. And what one finds in survivor circles is survivors saying again and again, listen, my diagnosis got changed to bipolar. And suddenly everyone's treating me like a human being. I mean, you know, like literally, right. literally saying that. And then we have, yes. we have people the other way where the diagnosis changes from bipolar to, to BPD. And then suddenly, you know, there's this, as I say, evidence-based, you know, you're manipulative, you're attention-seeking, you know, we know right. clinicians are less empathic, all that stuff. So there's a kind of bloody line there. There's also, and I think this is super, super important. I, I, I don't know whether you've done a program on this already, but there is also a really big interface. Um, and this is uh, sometimes with trauma and also sometimes perhaps what's going on with the third of people who don't have a trauma and adversity background. We also have this huge um, interface with Asperger's. Now there's just been, excuse me, I am the world's biggest geek. So I'm gonna geek out on you just for three seconds and then I'll come back. <laughs> we to do plenty of shows about autism and Asperger's. Okay, so, right so, so, so basically there was like a, a, a kind of like um, a paper that came out a year and a half ago that looked at the kind of commonality, so the overlap between Asperger's and borderline as it's kind of sort of kind of um, erroneously seen in diagnosis. And like literally kind of like the levels of Asperger's type symptoms in the borderline population as it's seen was pretty much identical. And at the same time, and you know, one minute more of my geek out, at the same time, there is more and more work that's going on uh, from colleagues um, who are working in Asperger's about how that, the definitions at the moment, we're kind of missing that it's a very male biased in terms of what Asperger's looks like. And that actually what people are saying now is that really we're going to have to expand the Asperger's category to recognize that because girls and women, when they grow up, there is so yes. much training. Exactly. I mean, you know, you know, you know, we got kids, kids from the off are kind of trained to relate more if they're girls and boys are kind of like sent more outside and all that stuff. And that basically means that people are thinking that the female phenotype of Asperger's is actually quite different because people can camouflage better. And so they That's can right. see, you know what I mean? They're not kind of necessarily out there obsessing about Batman or whatever it might be, uh, or trains or whatever. They can seem <laughs> to be relating, but something is still kind of missing because of the Asperger's process. And I think it's really important to think of Asperger's as a form of difference rather than pathology. And because of that, well, of course, relationships are problematic. And of course, then, well, what do women do? Women take that out on themselves because there's that internalizing bias. And that is really kind of, you know, that 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 really kind of mirrors what is seen as borderline personality disorder. So so that's going to be like, a, that's, a, that's an issue that's really kind of emerging where we're going to have a bigger Good. category female Asperger's and a lot of people who are given these very behavioral you know make yourself more normal make yourself more heteronormative kind of uh, interventions right. that one gets with borderline actually that's the most damaging thing you can do because what you have to actually do is if someone's with Asperger's as you know from the kind of hashtag Aspie movie, movement is really kind of recognize the difference and you know think how to you know kind of manage that. it you know what I mean yeah. That, right. That, Look at Dr. Temple Grandin. I mean, goodness, you know, I exactly. interviewed her twice. And I mean, I know that I just need to not try to control that interview. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> well, you guys, um, have we talked about this, Kristen, that the Google is actually hiring people uh, with autism who have, uh, you know, a set of special skills that are very valuable to yep. Google as a, as a business. So they've recognized, let's embrace those differences. And, uh, oh, and I've got a friend, by the way, who has Asperger's, a woman. And she said that, you know, there's some scientific, I guess, evidence that apparently it disappears between, say, the age, the symptoms disappear between the ages of 20 and 50. And she said to me, she goes, Frank, no, the symptoms, the symptoms may disappear, but it doesn't go away. She says, what I think happens is by the age of 20, you realize you need to go along to get along. Mm -hmm. And so you modify your behavior and you try to mimic, you know, neuronormal, neurotypical people. And by the time you get 50, it's like, screw it. <laughs> this is me. <laughs> like it or leave it. So it's always there. It's just that uh, adaptation yeah. in the, that 30 year window. To, and um, this, is, this is so important. I mean, you know, certainly in America, with the uh, with the kind of neurotypical Asperger's movement, you are, you know, you have these amazing camps. You know, like Asperger or, or, or kids with uh, with autism yeah. can, you know, can go to these really positive places. Going, listen, you've got an evolutionary advantage. If you can function to a certain level, huge, huge advantages, and let's celebrate that. And and that is going to be a real big movement. But also, Frank, I want to. Um, kind of just link what you've just said back to uh, to the construct of borderline too, because one of the things that, that that we get, which is completely even people who are like you know super critical, super feminist, what have you, with uh, with the construct of borderline personality disorder, is they don't talk enough about what happens uh, across the life course. So if I say personality to you guys, you probably kind of think, okay, personality is something where kind of, most people think, you know, personality is something one's pretty much stuck with for life, yeah? So if someone's right. told they're, they, they've got a borderline personality disorder, you know, the kind of message that comes with it, as well as this kind of negativity and nastiness and character assassination, is, you know, that's you. You are always going to suffer in this way. And we know the suffering is really as acute as it gets. We've got an 8 to 10% suicide rate. This is not normal distress. This is really, really significant stress. But we also know, clear as day, in terms of what happens across the life course, is that if you look at, you know, kind of the people who are actually inpatient with this diagnosis, you know, as I say, tends to start in the late teenage years, tends to start in early 20 years, in the early, in the kind of like early mid-20s. 18 years later, the absolute majority, you know, 78% to 99% have recovered. And that links so much for me, Frank, with what you were saying with, with, with Asperger's, which is that, you know, if one certainly can find people who can respond to one benignly, softly, kindly, then actually, you know, if one can get that help, then we know that most people, you know, it, 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 it it's going to run its course. And life is, you know, if we can right. run it, it's a great, it's a great healer. It can, you know, we are more, you know, our, our edges get kind of sort of rubbed and blended and we get more accepting of our difference and, you know, we can self-care more and stuff. And we need those kind of mes messages because it's not that the distress is something that is there indexed one's personality that one's got until uh, until the end, as it were. Yeah, I think, you know, it's, it's interesting. A lot of people ask, well, how did, you know, how do you get out of these things? How do, or not get out of these things, but how do you, quote unquote, grow out of borderline as an example? And, you know, I'm like, well, that's an, I don't know, 
that's a really odd way to put it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's to, you, the, the work that someone has to do to heal that trauma that is the reason why they react the ways that they do. And I say they, not as in they, those people over there. I mean, all of us. Mm-hmm. Um, the work that you have to do over the course of a lifetime to not be so reactive mm-hmm. is tremendous. So they're <laughs> actually warriors. You oh, know, they're thing. not these ranting, you know. This is the thing. And, you know, like kind of like, you know, when, when you were kind enough to ask me, as soon as I was like, OK, Kristen's a survivor, I was like, I'm so doing this. Because there is, you know, I mean, the word survivor, it's, it's a political word, but it's such a, it's such an important word, because the people that I admire most um, are people who have managed to stay alive. Yes, oh my God. And, you know, just to try and find some terra firma, you know, to try and to, to actually not die. And this is one of the reasons why I get, one of many reasons why I get so passionate about the diagnosis of borderline personality disorder, because there are, there are not, there aren't people that, I can't even put it to words, you can, you can hear me beginning to trip over my words, because my admiration for people <laughs> who are not dying, not killing themselves, actually giving yes. them so often systemic um, obliteration of the soul, the systemic annihilation, the lack of any space from someone loving and curious or any sure to rest on or, you know. Oh, my God. You're talking about my my early life up into my 40s. Yes. (laughs) Well, I got to tell you you guys, there's a movement in this country, um, uh, resilience training and bless their hearts for trying to do something about, you know, the difficulties with mental illness. But I said the other day in a keynote, I said, you know, I'm not sure resilience is the issue because to Jay's point. uh, Yes, exactly. I I have my issues around that word. Yes. Yeah, oh the God. people I know yeah. that are the most resilient are the people I know who have mental illness and get up and 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 put on their this shoes and face on a smile and walk through the world like nothing is wrong day in day out. And you know what, Frank, as well, the people that, but but not just people who do, people who are lying in bed and yep. they can't get out of bed yep. and they're still not dead. I, you know, that is. You know, sometimes occasionally, like, you know, I do like media stuff and things like people will say, oh, God, you know, you know, sort of like, you know, what have you. That is those are the people that I admire, the people listening who just to turn on the radio, to turn on the podcast is it's an act of life in an apocalyptic internal and sometimes external world. And, you know, hats out to, to to them and I love what you're saying about resilience I have such also a problem with the word one of the difficulties that we have in terms of treatment for BPD here and 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 treatment for kind of trauma in general is we have these kind of mad things like we have this crisis teams where you know someone will be suicidal and they've been chronically suicidal for 20 years and they're thrown off a crisis team and they'd be told to have a bath do you know what I mean? Or they'd be told to go to a walk. I'm, I'm, I'm not even joking. I'm not even I'm joking. Not. And it's like, kind of like, so you have like, you know, I mean, you know, 
absolute there is there is no worse hell than psychic hell you know if you, you speak to people as i'm lucky enough to do who have you know had like a terminal illnesses or literally been through wars and stuff if the psychic hell is the worst and then to get such a banal response it's such a mismatch and i think this term resilience yeah absolutely it's intended well but what we have um there's this approach called dialectic behavioral therapy i know you guys have that yeah yes and, yes and, and, and dialectic imperative yeah 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 no but there are problems with it too one of the problems that we have is yeah. this misreading of the idea of sensitivity so for example kind of we have people who are abuse survivors who will sit in psychoeducation groups and they'll basically be told that you know because they have got uh and there isn't robust evidence for this anyway they'll be told by people who don't really know their um research perhaps to the level they should um that you know that there's a genetic basis in sensitivity there isn't and then the idea of resilience will be used to say well that is or to imply which is what obviously an abuse survivor hears and actually to be honest it's not that they're hearing something's not that's not there i've heard recordings this happens that because you know because they're not if they just get a bit stronger if they just get some coping skills right. then they'll be resilient and exactly as you're claiming Kristen, you know kind of to survive often decades and decades and decades and there are class issues and there are poverty issues and there are, you, do you know what I mean? It is not a level playing field. And then to imply what well, wow. people have recovered, they're resilient and you can just learn this as a training thing. You know, again, that can be a secondary trauma as well because it reinforces the internal persecutors going, it's you. Yes. Yeah, and we, we internally persecute ourselves enough. I know, and it's like, I've been to so many of those trainings and yes, I've gotten something from them and they're part of the journey that has helped me. So it's not like I put those down, they've been good, but I've been able to, as I've gotten older, I'm not as triggered when I'm in them when I realize, okay, they're not trying to say that there's something wrong with me. I'm just going to shame because that's what I do. But if this person tells me to take more vitamins and then I should start running tomorrow, I probably am either going to hang myself or try to hang them. You know? I was murders, to be honest. I mean, it's absolutely amazing, you know. But that's one of the reasons why I think it's so important to, um, one of my dreams, if you said, you know, kind of, oh my God, kind of desert island type thinking, would be that we can get a, uh, you know, as well as trying to get mental health services better and not pathologizing and not producing secondary trauma, I would love it too if we could have a kind of homegrown, bottom-up collection of sharing wisdom, you know, kind of almost like, uh, not the same as like AA and Al-Anon and, you know, hearing voices right. groups and stuff like that, but something whereby, you know, sometimes a survivor has to say to another survivor, listen, this is just, you know, say it's a, a kind of piece of self-care guidance. I mean, you know, if a survivor says to another survivor, this is both absolutely ridiculous and almost like an insight in terms of what you're going through, but it's bloody scaffolding and actually, do you know what I mean? You know, kind of like yes, that. And yes. Then it's more kind of, for me, that's more, for me as a survivor, that's much more digestible. When it's kind of Absolutely. thrown as a kind of, you know, like, okay, you, you stay away with your, you know, you stay away with your madness. We'll throw you that and you should be okay. Then for me, that's problematic. And I think we, if we can skill up clinicians to be able to 
learn from survivors that there are ways of doing things to absolutely reiterate, to absolutely underline, you know, we know this is not all you do, but it's, do you know what I mean? Like in that kind of way, I think it's yep. hearable really. Otherwise, I agree. Problems. If you, if you have somebody that's teaching a class that has a wink, wink about it. That's the thing. That's the thing. Dr. J. Watt, please tell our listeners where they can find out more about you. Um, um, well, what I would really, really, really love would be if people would check out, um, uh, if I can, I, I'll say my website at the end, because what I really want people to do <laughs> is check out a couple of things for me. Um, one of which is if people are on socials, especially if people are on Twitter, if you go to hashtag trauma not pd especially if you're a survivor listening you will find this rising activism very very much survivor led louder and louder voices loads of solidarity and we're trying to change things um and um it would be wonderful to kind of welcome listeners to that community um also if people can check out um uh, personality disorder in the bin that i was mentioning earlier they they just do the most fantastic like um heart grabbing critique uh in a in that you know that combination of something being really funny in a dark humor way because it comes from deep yeah yeah exactly absolutely gets it they are they are you know they're they're the i don't do you have the expression the bees knees for me they're the bees knees um and um yeah um i i i'm i I, if if people want to read um, i I, i'm lucky enough to 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 kind of get to do lots of um uh um articles uh activism and lobbying stuff if people um people put dr j watts in and and you'll find uh my my guardian page and my independent page and stuff like that but um as i say trauma not pd um um, i'll I'll check 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 out the whole community certainly rather than me i i love this there's personality disorder in the bin yeah and and then there's pd in the bin and hashtag trauma not pd Trauma, not PD. Oh, yeah. fantastic. And we're, we're, making, we're making the noise and we, we need more people to make a louder and louder voice. And hopefully, you know, that means that some of the issues that we've been talking about can really change things so that we have this, you know, this compassionate response. We have this greater understanding of the intersubjective origin of distress. And we also have the kind of like feminist issues like, well, actually, you know, it's uh, how come, you know, mental health services are pathologizing things like women's rage when uh, well, actually, you know, we know that listening to women and believing women uh, is long overdue, and uh, thank goodness, yes. part of the zeitgeist right now. Yes, we aren't. We aren't looking at what drove them to it. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Oh. Do you know what? Like, I've been, I've been, I've been, I've been working as a Christian for twenty, twenty-five years. I have never yet. 100% I've worked in forensic, I've worked in acute wards, I've worked in the most serious services nationally. I have never yet found a woman's anger, and as we say with BPD, we're talking 75% women, that doesn't have a cause and doesn't have a yeah. justified reason. It might be displaced in time and place, but there is always a reason. And we need people to get interested and curious enough and skilled enough to to look for that and to bear witness for that because you know as a survivor Kristen you know having someone bear witness to, to yes. what we've not been allowed to think or feel and you know that is just that's that's just crucial. Absolutely oh my gosh thank you so much for coming on the show. 
it's been an absolute pleasure and, and 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 as i say you know thank you so much for the work that you're doing it's um it really um is legitimizing a lot of people's distress and that's so important mm -hmm. Yes, I have one thank last you. question. Uh, one last question, ladies. Am I the only one that has a burning desire for a cuppa? <laughs> you, you, you see, I can tell you if you've got a British in-law because you know uh, um, a tea is the only way to... I know, I know, no one likes commercials, but seriously, folks, without the help from these organizations, we could not stay on the air. Please give a shout out to zencharts.com. If you're a mental health or addiction treatment center, you'll want to use their EHR. It's gorgeous. And they're just good people. And also mygenetics, M-Y-G-E-N-E-T-X.com, because knowing your genetic code empowers your mental health treatment. And lastly, copenotes.com. We love getting positive messages right to our phones every day from Johnny Crowder. He's the lead singer of Prison, a heavy metal band sharing their music about suicide prevention, addiction recovery, and mental health. See, that was painless. Support them as they support us. Back to the show. good intentions i heat up and act on my emotions thanks so much for listening to mental health news radio our podcast can be found on itunes stitcher and hundreds of other podcast apps or you can visit our website at mentalhealthnewsradio.com if you have a question or would like to be a guest become a podcaster on our network or join the amazing organizations that help keep us on the air please email us at info at mhnrnetwork.com Get ready for that special goodbye from our resident therapy dog, Miles, and a special thanks to Emily Sohn for letting us use her incredible song, Cordial, for our podcast music. Listen to the full song on SoundCloud at emily.sonne. Don't be surprised when I don't hate on you. After all we promised, we'd be cordial. So